Attilo! What brings you here? They are visitors from the east. They follow the star. The star of the prophecy. The prophecy of the Messiah? The Messiah. Come, all of you. Magi, the wisest of the wise. Tell me what they claim. They believe that a new king awaits them now in Judea. Father, we must send your soldiers to follow them until they find the man we seek. And raise their suspicions when we risk not finding this king at all. Invite them to dine with us. Your arrival is by the hand of Providence. For years, I have studied the words of the prophets. Out of Bethlehem shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people, Israel. Your Excellency, I too have studied these words. I have waited a lifetime for the signs I now see. As have many. The star, the one that you have followed. Tell me, what does it mean? The prophecy speaks of a child. Heralded by the star, we have followed these many months. What do you mean, a child? Are you not here seeking a man? A man ready to proclaim himself Messiah? No, a child. A messiah for the lowest of men to the highest of kings. We too have been waiting for God's king. For years. When you find him, please return to us, so that we may come worship him as well. Welcome to the fourth and final week in our All Ye Faithful series. What we've been doing, if you're just joining us here today, is we've been going through the Christmas story and looking at different characters in the Christmas story and kind of seeing how it was for them on the first Christmas morning. And if you're kind of new here and just kind of visiting us and saying Christmas was a couple weeks ago, the best thing about being an Orthodox Christian is you get two Christmases every year. All right, and then when you really get into the Orthodox Christianity, you'll get two New Year's as well. Like, it's by far the best, the coolest thing about being part of the Orthodox Church. So our Christmas is tomorrow, or Tuesday, I should say, but we celebrate tomorrow evening. So because of that, we're still going with the Christmas story right here. And today, we're going to look at the final character, and it's a character that we don't often look at because he is the bad guy in the Christmas story. Every story needs a bad guy, right? Can't have a story without a villain. And the Easter story, you got Judas, you got Pilate, you got plenty of bad guys. Well, the Christmas story has a bad guy too. And that bad guy's name is Herod, known as Herod the Great or Herod the King. And he did one of the worst acts in the history of all mankind. It's written about in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. We maybe have heard this so often that we don't realize the gravity of what Herod did right here. 
the king, the ruler of the people, the one who is designed by God. The king was designed by God to be a father to a family, the one to protect them, the one to put in rules, put rules in the place to protect the good guys from the bad guys. That very king, the one who's in power, the one who's supposed to be looking out for the needs of the people, decided to do what? You put in a decree that every child, male child, from two years old and under would be massacred right there on the spot. How many people were massacred in this, what's called the Massacre of the Innocents? The numbers range. All right, Some people put the number as high as 144,000. Other people go down to 60,000. Some people go down to 14,000. Bottom line is, a lot of innocent children were killed for absolutely no reason. So you think to yourself, how could one person be so ruthless, so cruel? How could one person say that all children under age two years old should be killed mercilessly? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about Herod today, and we're going to see the character of Herod, and you're going to see that actually, believe it or not, it wasn't that out of character for him to do what he did. This Herod, like I said, there's many Herods that appear in the Bible and through the history of, of Israel. This Herod was known to be the most ruthless of them all. And this Herod was said about him one time by Caesar, Caesar, the king of Rome, okay, said about this Herod, it would be better to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. You know why he said that? Because Herod had no problem killing his own son. And on more than one occasion, Herod killed his own family members. Herod had many wives. His favorite of them of all, one time he thought that she was conspiring to get him, so he had her axed. He had children, his oldest children. He, in his mind, they were conspiring against him. He had them killed. And in fact, not just his own sons, not just his wife, but he had several members of his family killed at one point or time or another in, during his reign. In fact, Herod was such a monster. You want to know the first thing Herod did when he became king of Israel? They have a ruling body in Israel called the Sanhedrin. All right, so the king is to the Sanhedrin, what the president is to Congress, sort of. The ruling body, it was established of the 70 elders, 70 religious leaders, influential people. Herod's first act as king was to have them all killed. Why? Because he wanted his own people loyal to him, didn't want people loyal to the old guy. Herod was a monster. Herod was such a monster that before his own death, Okay, history tells us that Herod died a very gruesome death, a very painful death, a very slow and agonizing death. Before his own death, he knew that he was hated by all the people for so many different reasons, and he wasn't sure if anyone was going to mourn his death. So Herod came up with a plan. You know what Herod did? Herod called for many heads of families around Israel, prominent families, and he called for the, the heads of those families to come to meet him in Jerusalem. And then when they came and met him in Jerusalem, all these different heads of families, he put him in jail. And he put him in jail with orders to execute them all when he died. Why? So that on the day he died, the whole country would be mourning. Herod was a monster. Killing some two-year-olds? Man, that was par for the course for a guy like Herod. But in fairness, okay, we have to be fair and say that Herod wasn't all bad. Herod had some good points. And actually, believe it or not, I know it doesn't sound like it fits. The description I just gave doesn't sound like the description doesn't seem like the two match, but I'll show you how they do match because I believe they do. Herod was actually one of the most generous kings of Israel as well. And Herod was the one who, you know, in, in when Jesus 
um, talked about the temple and the huge temple, and it was ripped in two. Herod was the one who rebuilt that temple, and he financed it himself. The first temple was built by Solomon, then eventually destroyed. Then it started to be rebuilt, but Herod is the one who did a huge renovation to it and made it one of the wonders of the world, and he financed it himself. Herod made significant tax cuts to the people of Israel, and he helped them out during times where they were struggling during famines. Herod also, one time, people were starving for food, so what Herod did, he took his own gold plates, melted them, and gave the money to the people who were starving in the streets. How can I say, paint a description of a monster, and then also someone so generous? Well, that's what we're going to see today, is that Herod, like many of us, is not a bad guy. He's a good guy. We're all good guys. Anytime now, someone starts to me a story and says, hey, this happened, let me tell you, but he's a good guy. Look, I decided everyone's a good guy. There isn't anyone in the world who isn't a good guy. Your boss is a good guy. Your coworker's a good guy. Your neighbor's, everyone's a good guy. Your wife is a good guy. Your husband's a good guy. Everyone's a good guy. No such thing is not a good guy. Everyone is a good guy. Herod was a good guy, but Herod had one little problem. And when that little problem, someone touched him on that problem, Herod went like a crazy person. What was Herod's problem? He had to always be in control. And as long as he was in control, and as long as he had all the power, and as long as no one conspired to steal his control, generous, no problem. Then that guy tried to take my control, watch out. He's going to regret it, and his whole family and his whole region is going to regret it. Herod, like many of us, good guys. As long as we're in control. Here's the thing that we're going to see here today, especially when it comes to Christmas. When God, when God walks into the bus, he's driving. When God enters, God usually doesn't sit shotgun in life. God enters, he drives. And that was Herod's biggest problem is that he couldn't allow anyone else to drive the bus, even God himself, and that's what got Herod into problem. Let's, let's go back through the story just so we're all on the same page. The story is in Matthew chapter 2, and it starts like this in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why was all Jerusalem troubled at this news? It says he was troubled, and troubled is a mild translation right here. He was greatly distressed, and the whole city was greatly distressed with him. Why? When you have a dictator, and someone who is so volatile, like someone looks at him wrong, and all these people get wiped out, when Saddam Hussein was in power, if he's not having a good day, no one in the city's having a good day. And they saw all of a sudden the king is upset, heads are going to roll. So all the city was in distress because this man was distressed. And why was he so distressed? Listen carefully what I'm about to say right here, and I'm choosing my words carefully. Why was Herod so troubled? You want to know why? I think Herod was the smartest guy in the story. I think Herod was the smartest guy in the story. I think Herod was so troubled because he fully understood what it meant to say that the king of the Jews has been born. Now, he didn't respond properly to being so smart. Like, he understood it. He didn't respond properly to after he understood it. But he understood full well 
that a king is coming, that means that I can no longer be king. He understood that this wasn't just a child, just wasn't someone who's coming to come into the world and we're singing songs to him and everything like that. He understood that the second he walks in, that I got to give up control. And I don't want to give up control because I kind of like being in control because I'm a control freak. And many of us aren't as smart as Herod. We think Jesus is coming for Christmas to bless our lives, to make us happy, to give us whatever it is that we want. We think Jesus is coming just so we sing some night. We don't realize. Herod is smarter than us. Herod realized, hey guys, wait a minute. Jesus walks in the story. He sits in the driver's seat. Many of us think that Jesus is coming to be our assistant in life. That he's coming to help us with our plan in life. To help bless our plans. He is not coming to bless our plans. He is not coming to sit shotgun. And, 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 and drive for a little bit when we get snoozed. And then he we tell him to go back. Jesus is coming in. It means a new sheriff coming in town. And he's a great sheriff. And he's the best sheriff. But he's the sheriff. <clears throat> Jesus is not coming to bless our lives. Jesus is coming to drive us to the place where he knows the blessing is. He is not coming over. He's not coming to assist us in our plans. He is coming to throw our plans away and give us the plans that truly lead to joy and eternal life as he only knows. Said another way, there ain't room on this island for two kings. One's got to go. And that's what happened with Herod. Herod knew that Jesus coming meant either he or I needs to go. So he tried to make Jesus go, but he failed. And ultimately in the end, one of them did go, but it wasn't the way Herod thought it would be. Verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod, by the way, was a very religious man. Remember when I said Herod said, or Caesar said about him, it's better to be his pig than his son? You know why? Because Herod would never kill his pig. Herod would never touch his pig because he knew that was a defiled animal and he would never eat his pig. Herod knew the rules and knew the law and knew the Old Testament very, 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 very well. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined for them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. He says, tell me where he is so I can worship him too. Of course, was he telling the truth? Now, put yourself in Herod's shoes. I think of all the people in the Christmas story, again, don't misunderstand me. I think Herod is the most relatable character. Like, we love Mary, we love Joseph. But how often are we asked to, like, give birth to the Son of God? Not, not very frequently, okay? How often are we asked to take care of Virgin Mary? Like, it's not very frequent. But how often does Jesus come and say, I want to take over your life. I want to be in charge. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I want to tell you what to do. I want to show you that the way you're living is not right. I want to tell you this is the right way. That's much more common an experience and much more one that we can relate with. We don't like to think of it that way, but the truth be told, we like to be king over our own lives, but Jesus is never satisfied to be shotgun in our lives. So because of that, like I say, Herod, very common for us to be in a similar situation. If you ask Herod, Herod, you just told a lie right there. What would Herod say? 
Would he say, yes, I told a lie? He'd never say that. Why? Because Herod was a good guy. And just like you are a good guy, and I'm a good guy. And Herod would never say I told a lie. He'd say, no, 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 no. I'm doing what's right. Because you don't realize that there's a bad king, a bad king who's coming to destroy my life. So I'm just trying to protect my life, my family, my country, my job, and we can convince ourselves whatever kinds of garbage we want to convince ourselves. A human being with an agenda who's scared to lose control, an agenda to keep that control, can convince himself of any lie he or she wants. And Herod is a good guy, but say, I'm doing the right thing to protect the people from this bad king who's coming to destroy me and destroy the people. Finish up the story here in verse 9. And when they heard the king, this being the wise men, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The story of Herod, you can't really look at the story of Herod without also seeing the story of the three, of, I'm sorry, of the wise men. You know, we say the three wise men. The Bible never says there's three wise men. Did you know that? We made that up. The Bible says there was three gifts, but it never says there was three wise men. It could have been ten wise men. We don't know. But three is a nice number. It's, it's a nice number. So let's say the wise men. You can't look at Herod without contrasting him with the magi or the wise men. You know what the wise men were? Okay, we don't know exactly what they were, but when the Bible says that the Magi, Magi could have been princes or even kings from another land. So here you have a beautiful contrast. You have three kings, again, we don't know the three, but we'll go with three, from a faraway land who don't know any of the Old Testament, don't know any of the prophets of the law. And then you have the one king here of the people of God living in Jerusalem. And we have now the contrast, and we'll see how this king, Versus these kings responded when the true king was born into the world. Three ways that we'll contrast the two of them. First thing that we will see is Herod, the bad king, had a personal agenda. The Magi sought the truth. Herod had a personal agenda. He was not pure in his motives. He had an agenda, which is, I want to be in control. And when you have an agenda, you can find anything to validate your agenda. Magi, no agenda. Just wanted one thing. What's the truth? Who is this child? Is he the king? If so, we worship him. If he's not, we won't worship him. This is the difference between what some might say some people are seekers of God. They seek God. They seek the truth. Others are speculators of truth. You know the difference between a seeker and a speculator? Seeker, no agenda. What's the truth? What's the right answer? Speculator? Well, I kind of think God is like this. Because I have my agenda to live this way. I want to, there's many people throughout history who did this. I want to divorce my wife, so I believe in a God who likes divorce. 
Because I believe that God wants us to all finish my sentence here. God wants me to be happy. It's in the Bible somewhere. God wants me to be happy. And therefore, the only way I'll be happy is to divorce my wife. So I believe God wants me to divorce my wife. And I convinced myself of that agenda. I believe that even though the Bible says this and this and this is wrong, I believe that God didn't really mean it when he said it. Oh, no, mercy, mercy. I believe mercy. I'm pro-mercy. I believe God is mercy towards this stuff. And yes, this is wrong, but God has mercy on my weakness. So therefore, I choose to live this way because I'm not a seeker of the truth. I am a speculator of what I want to be true. And I invent the story however it is that I want it to be. Me and you and all of us wish it worked that way, but it doesn't work that way. We aren't the king. We aren't the ones who make the rules. We're the ones who obey the rules. If it worked out that, that whatever you wanted, the Israelites wanted to win every war. They never wanted to lose. God said, no, you lose. They never wanted to be taken captive. God said, no, you be taken captive. David wanted to be allowed to have Bathsheba. God said, you take her, you're in trouble. But no, but I want happy. It don't work that way. If it worked, that you always get what you want. Today, we'd be watching a different set of playoffs. If everyone got what they wanted, I'd be watching my team the playoffs every year on Sunday. But we don't get what we want. Speculators have their own agenda, and they'll do anything they can to prove it right. And the bottom line is, you can find a way to validate. Example. I'll give you an example. You ever thought about this? Answer me this question. The wise men came from a great distance away because they saw a star. And, 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 and the, the historians tell us that they traveled from the east. We don't know where that is. Persia, India, somewhere in that direction. And they traveled probably four to six months watching this one star. Herod was living under the star. How come he didn't see it? Because he wasn't looking for it. Very good. Exactly. Because he, why, he didn't care. And there's a star that says it's going to be a king. What king? I don't know about any king. I only know one king. No, no, here's a sign that says the Messiah is coming. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see any of that stuff. We see what we want to see, and we hear what we want to hear. And these guys, they were seeking the truth for six months, saw this star and saw this star. Herod was less than six minutes away from where the child was born. He didn't walk. They walked six months. He didn't walk six minutes. Why? Because those who have an agenda will always prove their agenda to be right. Story that I read. And it was said it was a true story. I don't know if it's true, but we'll say it as a true story. And once upon a time, there was a guy. And the guy was a young single guy, and he wanted to get married. And he was struggling with loneliness. And he really, really, really wanted to get married. And he would pray and pray and pray and pray that God would help him find a wife. And would give him a wife to marry. One day, he's like at his wit's end and like struggling. And, and, and he's a good guy. Okay, that's always the preface. He's a good guy. So he's praying and, and where's God and all this kind of stuff. And he's driving on a long road trip. And he prays and says, God, I believe all of a sudden when you have an agenda, you have very great faith. Okay, all of a sudden we're great at faith. We can move mountains with our faith when we have an agenda. God, I believe that you're going to give me a wife this weekend. And this weekend, I believe you're going to give me a wife. And God, just reveal thou self unto me thine servant because I believe that you will reveal a wife to me this weekend. He's driving in a long, faraway place. He turns on the radio. It's a Christian radio station. Must be from God. 
God heard my prayers to Christian Radio. They're doing a contest. And they're going to announce the winner of the contest. And the winner is a girl named Ellen. That's from God. That's my new wife. Some girl named Ellen is from God. And he spent the rest of that weekend introducing himself to everyone, just looking for a girl named Ellen. Excuse me, is your name Ellen? No. And he, and he asked anybody, is your name Ellen? Your, name, your sister's name Ellen? Your mother? Your middle name? Your maiden name? Your favorite character? Your favorite TV show? Like anything. He wanted anyone with the name Ellen. And he went around the whole weekend, didn't find anyone under 65 years old with the name Ellen. We do this all the time, don't we? It's not just the crazy guy right there. We want something to be true, so we put like a verse connected to it and attach some faith to it. Eventually, the story goes, the guy meets a girl. And he found a girl whose name was Lisa. He asked her her last name. She said it was Nelson. So that means that her initials are L-N, Ellen. And they've been happily ever, they lived happily ever after. No, I'm just joking. I don't know if that's true or not, okay? Bottom line, Jeremiah 29, 13, L-N, get it? L-N, Ellen. Come see me afterwards, okay, if you're struggling, okay? I'll draw you a picture. Jeremiah 29, 13. Jesus says it, the Bible says it very clearly. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You can write next to all your heart, no agenda. Neutral. Not trying to prove what I want to be true. Not, I promise you, I've told this to many people, I promise you, you can find a verse in the Bible to validate anything you want to do. Find me something you want to do, I'll find you a verse in the Bible that can prove it. You say to yourself, I'm greedy and I want to be rich. Well, there's a verse in there that says something about God wants to bless us with abundant riches, doesn't it? Give us wealth and prosperity, doesn't it? You're a workaholic and you justify your workaholic. Hey, isn't there a verse in the Bible that says if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. There's that verse in the Bible, everyone's favorite verse. You can do anything you want under the he shall give you the desire of your heart. You can do anything you want under the, he shall give you the desire or give you a future. You can do anything that you want. And you can find a Bible verse to validate it when you have an agenda. I'll give you a great verse. And I think it's in your handout. It's a verse from a part of the Bible that you will never, ever, ever hear, or not never, ever, but very rarely hear about. It's the book of Sirach, okay? It's coming from the Old Testament. It's a book of wisdom. And it says, Sirach 428, fight to the death for truth, and the Lord God will fight for you. I love that verse. Fight to the death for truth, and the Lord God will fight for you. Too many of us are not fighting for truth. Herod was not fighting for truth. Herod was fighting for his own agenda. That's why he lost. The wise men were fighting and traveling for the truth, and that's why they found the Lord Jesus. Number one, Herod had an agenda. Wise men sought the truth. Number two, the Magi surrendered to the new king. Herod resisted. The Magi surrendered to the new king. Herod resisted. You're going to go to big bad Herod the Great. You're going to tell me surrendered? Excuse me? 
I don't surrender. You surrender. Because we have, the word surrender has a very negative connotation in our minds. Because we think in terms of a, a winner and a loser. So therefore, whoever surrenders is the loser, and whoever doesn't is the winner. And we don't want to be losers, so we refuse to surrender. That ain't at all how the Bible uses the word surrender. Surrender doesn't mean to lose. Surrender means actually to find a victory. Because it's only when we surrender to God that we will find true victory. Why? James chapter 4, verse 7 and 10. It says, therefore submit, or submit is like surrender. Submit to God. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Bottom line is this. Is in life, you can either be with God, or you can be against God. If you are against God, you find the biggest, baddest, strongest guy in the school. And you're in junior high. You find the biggest, strongest guy. And that's the guy that you want to be on your side. You don't want to be against him. Well, too many of us, if, if we're honest, we're living lives against God. Sorry. Now, I'm not saying you're a bad guy, because I already said in the beginning, you're a good guy. I'm a good guy. We're all good guys. But our lives are against God. Because we wake up in the morning, and God says, I want this. And I say, but I want this. And then you know what you are? You are at enmity with God. You are fighting with God. And my money says you are going to lose. Because he is God. You are not. Every day, you have a choice. Who call, who's driving the car? You and God are in the same car together. One rides passenger, one rides driver. God gets antsy in the passenger seat. He doesn't. He, excuse me, excuse me, can I, excuse me, can I? Until eventually, either you give him passenger or give him driver or you boot him out the car. Herod refused to let God drive. That's why Harry got himself into problems. <clears throat> now, what I'm saying is not easy. And I don't want you to, I don't want to make light of it and say like what I'm saying is easy and yeah, yeah, just surrender. Just do what God wants. Forget about your own agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to say it like that. Because all of us have been trained in our minds that we know what we want and we want it. And we want it now because that we have been trained that we know what's going to make us happy. Does God want us to be happy? That's a big question. It's a profound question. Does God want us to be happy? How am I going to love a God who doesn't want me to be happy? How am I going to surrender to someone who wants to make me miserable? Does God want to make me happy? Yes, but it is not his number one goal. Because God's number one goal is not your happiness, but your holiness. And it's when we become holy that we will truly be happy. But happiness is not an end in and of itself. Holiness is the end. And this is why we have the conflict with God. Because we say, I can't surrender because then I won't be happy. But God says, the goal isn't to make you happy. The goal is to make you holy. Like, let's, let's, like, Let's try not to, we're, we become brainwashed by the things that we're told over and over and over and over and over. If you look throughout the Bible, I didn't bring the verses, but I could bring you 50 of them right now. From the beginning of the Bible, God never said, I want you to be happy, be happy, be happy, be happy. From the very, very beginning, the Old Testament, God said, you should be holy because I am holy. And you should be perfect 
as your Father in heaven is perfect. And what started in the scriptures as a pursuit of perfection and a pursuit of holiness turned into life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Somewhere along the way, probably in 1776 or somewhere around there. We turn pursuit of perfection into pursuit of happiness. Life of holiness into life of just give me whatever it is that I want. And it's our American right. Did you know, true, you can look this up online, Harvard University, Harvard, Harvard, has a class, one of the most popular classes in the university called How to Be Happy. And that's a real class taught by real professors who have written real books. And it's one of the most popular classes in the university. Why? Because we have taken what God said about a life of holiness, and all God is trying to do to get us holy. And we've kind of shifted over here and we've watered it down into just make me happy. Just give me what it is that I want right here. But that's not, never was God's aim. Now, but like I said, the holiness will give us joy, but that's not the point. It's just to make us happy. Proverbs 16, 20 says, He who heeds the word wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. True happiness, I want to say, I'll get rid of the word happiness, joy, will come from the Lord when we surrender to him. But it comes as a byproduct of surrender, not as a, a, a pursuit of happiness. And there's a big difference between those two. And the easiest example is we're going to go, we're going to our story right now. You have Herod, you have these three magi, the three wise men. And you look when baby Jesus was born. Each of them did their own thing. One surrendered, one didn't. What is the fruit of each of their decisions? Herod left this story in an angry rage. In an attempt to be happy, he left the story in a furious and violent rage, one that led him to do something that no one in their right mind would do, to massacre all the kids, innocent kids, two years old and under. And that's the pursuit of happiness. Whereas you have the wise men who was the pursuit of holiness, pursuit of the truth. How do they end the story? Worshiping God and rejoicing greatly. Third point. Herod tried to change God's plan. The Magi surrendered or allowed God's plan to change theirs. The proof is in the pudding. The proof of a life of surrender is you just, like I said, you look at Herod and you look at these three guys. One, we'll start with the good ones, worshiped, peace, glory to God in the eyes, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Didn't have a problem, all smiles. They came all this distance. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Even the angels in heaven, was everything was, everything was bright for these guys. The other guy, upside down in stress and turmoil and trouble. Can I ask you an honest question? And you be honest. You don't need to answer me. You answer God. Which of those two does your life look more like? Most likely you're neither extreme, but you're somewhere along the spectrum. Which side do you tend to fall on? Peace? Let's make this, this is the good side. Peace? Rejoicing? You're faced with God, and it's all smiles, and it's joy, or is it turmoil? 
Is it anguish? Bible said, this one was greatly troubled. said, this one greatly rejoiced. We started this message series four weeks ago with this verse, if you all remember. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Herod didn't get this. And my great fear that I want to leave you all with this is that you get this. That many are the plans in a man's heart. Many are the aspirations. Many are the dreams. Many are the desires for happiness. But it is the Lord's purpose that ultimately prevails. There was a guy named Saul who lived back in the New Testament. He was a good guy. They're all good guys. But he was misguided in life. He thought God wanted him to persecute Christians. God said, no, Saul, you got it backwards. I'm the God of the Christians. And he changed Saul, 180 degrees. One of the things that he said to Saul, as Saul was walking this path of resisting God, refusing to surrender, no, it's my plan, it's my way, I'm right, you're wrong, you get in the back of the bus, I'm driving. One of the things that Jesus said to him when he appeared, he said, Saul, it is hard to kick against the goats. You heard that before? It is hard to kick against the goats. Y'all know what that means? Y'all know what a goad is? Goad, G-O-A-D. Goad. It's like a ball with spikes. Okay? So it's like a metal ball with like sharp spikes coming out all directions. If you got a goad, a metal ball with spikes, and you like that, like gently touch it, ow. But if you wind up and you just lay into that thing, you're only hurting yourself. And the harder you kick, the more you're hurting yourself. That goad is the purpose of the Lord, which stands eternal. Christmas is all about God coming and saying, I have a plan. I have a plan which before you ever existed, I have a plan. I had this plan. Some mess-ups happened in the plan, Adam and Eve, but that's okay. I'm God, or I can fix all that stuff. Here's the new plan. And the new plan was for the Son of God to come down to earth, to live amongst mankind, to heal mankind, to save mankind, to, yes, to bless us and redeem us, but not just to make us happy. And God's plan is eternal. And those who surrender to God's plan, who join God, who give God the keys, that's the one who, like the wise men, leaves the story with exceedingly great joy. Those who have their agenda for happiness and personal, those are the ones who's going to get some trouble in the story. And the harder you fight, the harder that goad is going to hurt. And you push, and it pushes back. And you punch, it punches back. And you kick, and you break your foot. The harder you kick against God's plan, the more damage we're only doing to ourselves. We talked about four characters throughout this series. Which one of the characters do you, will you respond like? All of them, same God came to each one of them. Different plan for each one, but he came to each one. We had Joseph the obedient, whose response was characterized by, yes, sir, immediate obedience. 
We had Jesus the humbled, who humbled himself, even though he was God, took his father's plan and said, you got it. Whatever it is, like took the form of a servant and became man. We had Mary, Virgin Mary, the submissive, who said, behold, the mate servant of the Lord. And then today we saw Herod, the stubborn, the one guy who was so married to his own plan and his own agenda that he saw the newborn king as competition that must be eliminated. You know, when I, when I, I think of this, you know what this is? Remember, we were kids, Tanya Harding and, and Nancy Kerrigan? Okay, that's what Herod was, okay? Because all of a sudden, for those who didn't know, Nancy Kerrigan, there was an ice skating thing, and Nancy Kerrigan was going to beat Tanya Harding, so Tanya Harding went and clubbed. She got those goons to club the, okay, to take her out of the competition, the Olympics. That's what Herod did. Herod saw Jesus, the new king, as competition, as someone who's coming to take over my life and destroy my life and ruin my plan and make me miserable and take away my happiness. And he couldn't see that Jesus was coming to do the exact opposite. Jesus was coming to fulfill his life. And Jesus was coming to redeem his life. I tell you, Jesus is coming. I tell you tomorrow, not tomorrow, today is coming into your life. And he's coming to take over. How do you respond to that? I'll leave you all with this verse. It's been one of my favorite verses for the past couple months. I told it to many of y'all. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Herod was a good guy. Just like you're a good guy, I'm a good guy. We're all good guys. Herod was a smart guy. Smart enough to realize that when this child comes in, everything changes. How will you respond? How will you respond when the Lord comes and says, I'm here to change your life. I'm here to redeem it and make it all new and all good in a way that you never could have imagined. But the only way is when I drive the bus. The one who accepts, the one who surrenders, will find, like the wise men, a savior, a redeemer, a king. The one who rejects will find an inconvenience and a burden in life. Let's pray and ask God that we would never, ever have that Herod response when it comes to our lives. Let's stand for prayer together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you that you came down to save us, that you came down to redeem us, that you came down to give us a new life, a life with eternal meaning and eternal purpose. We pray, Lord, that, that you would help to like erase from us this, this mindset of seeking just what makes us happy and seeking short-term and, and thinking that we are so smart and we know what's best for ourselves. Lord, we're like little kids that we don't know what, what's good for us, but we know that you, you do know what's good for us. And the only thing that we know that's good, Lord, is you. So help us, Lord, to really live a life of surrender, not just to say empty words here today and not just to nod our heads but to really give you control of our life and to even understand what that means on a day-to-day -day basis. Help us to repent of the things that we know we need to repent of, to remove the things that we know need to be removed out of our lives, and to accept those things which you have been trying to put in our lives that we've been rejecting. We thank you and we praise you. We love you with all our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be 
like Joseph or like Virgin Mary or, or like you yourself as you accepted the plan of your Father when you came to this earth. We pray this in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Have a great week, guys. See you all next week. Oh, come on.